0: Section Ten of The Iron Horse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Iron Horse by Robert Michael Ballantine. Section Ten. Mrs. Marrot and Bob Visit the Great Clatterby Works. Part Two. But Mrs. Marrot and Bob paid no attention to him they were fascinated by the doings of the big hammer and Especially by the cool quiet way in which the man with the lever caused it to obey his will When he moved the lever up or down a little up or down went the hammer a little When he moved it a good deal the hammer moved a good deal when he was gentle the hammer was gentle when he gave a violent push the hammer came down with a crash that shook the whole place He could cause it to plunge like lightning to within a hair's breadth of the anvil and check it Instantaneously so that it should not touch He could make it pat the red metal lovingly or pound it with the violence of a fiend Indeed so quick and sympathetic were all the movements of that steam hammer that it seemed as though it were gifted with intelligence and were nervously solicitous to act in prompt obedience to its master's will there were eleven steam hammers of various sizes in this building with a staff of a hundred and seventy-five men to attend to them half of which staff worked during the day and half during the night besides seven smaller steam hammers in the smith's shops and other departments with difficulty will garvey tore his friends away from the big hammer but he could not again chain their attention to anything else until he came to the pair of scissors that cut iron with this instrument mrs marrot at first expressed herself disappointed it was not like a pair of scissors at all she said and in this she was correct for the square clumsy-looking blunt-like mass of iron about five feet high and broad which composed a large portion of it was indeed very unlike a pair of scissors why mother exclaimed bob you didn't surely expect to see two large holes in it for a giant's thumb and fingers did you well but said mrs marrot it ain't got no blades that i can see i'll let e see em missus in a minute said a workman who came up at that moment with a plate of iron more than a quarter of an inch thick turn it on johnny a small boy turned on the steam the machine moved and will garvey pointed out to mrs marrot the fact that two sharp edges of steel in a certain part of it crossed each other exactly in the manner of a pair of scissors well remarked mrs m after contemplating it for some time it don't look very like scissors but i'm free to confess that them two bits of iron do act much in the same way and with the same result missus observed the machine man putting the plate between the clippers which closing quietly snipped off about a foot of iron as if it had been paper there was however a crunching sound which indicated great power and drew from mrs marrot an exclamation of surprise not altogether unmingled with alarm the man then seized a bit of iron about as thick as his own wrist full an inch and a half in diameter which the scissors cut up into lengths of eighteen inches or so As easily as if it had been a bar of lead or wood. Didn't I say it could cut through the poker, mother? cried Bob with a look of triumph. The poker, boy, it could cut poker, tongs, shovel, and fender all at once, replied Mrs. Marrot. Well, I never can it do anything else? In reply to this, the man took up several pieces of hard steel, which it snipped through as easily as it had cut the iron but if mrs marrot's surprise at the scissors was great not less great was it at the punching machine which punched little buttons the size of a sixpence out of cold iron full half an inch thick this vicious implement not only punched holes all round boiler-plates so as to permit of their being riveted together but it cut patterns out of thick iron plate by punching rows of holes so close to each other that they formed one long cutting straight or crooked as might be required In short the punchy machine acted the part of a saw and cut the iron plates in any shape that was desired Here also they saw the testing of engine springs those springs which to most people appear to have no spring in them Whatever so very powerful are they one of these was laid on an iron table with its two ends resting against an iron plate a man approached and measured it exactly Then a hydraulic ram was applied and there was something quite impressive in the easy quiet way in which the ram shoved a spring Which the weight of a locomotive can scarcely affect quite flat against the iron plate and held it there a moment or two Being released the spring resumed its proper form and was then Re-measured found not to have expanded a hair's breadth and therefore as will Garvey took care to explain was passed as a sound, well-tempered spring. Whereat, Bob remarked that it would need to be a good-tempered spring to suffer such treatment without grumbling. It seemed to Mrs. Marrot now as if her capacity for surprise had reached its limit, but she little knew the wealth of capacity for creating surprise that lay in these amazing works of the Grand National Trunk Railway. The next place she was ushered into was a vast apartment where iron in every shape, size, and form was being planed and turned and cut. The ceiling of the building, or rather the place where a ceiling ought in ordinary circumstances to have been, was alive with moving bands and whirling wheels. The first thing she was called on to contemplate was the turning of the tire or rim of one of the driving wheels of a locomotive often had mrs marrot heard her husband talk of tires and driving wheels and many a time had she seen these wheels whirling half concealed in their appropriate places but never till that day had she seen the iron hoop eight feet in diameter elevated in bare simplicity on a turning lathe where its size impressed her so much that she declared she never could have imagined engine wheels were so big and asked how did they ever manage to get them lifted up to where they was? To which an overseer kindly replied by pointing out a neat little crane fitted on a tail Which when required rang along the apartment like a strong obedient little domestic servant Lifting wheels etc that a man could scarcely move and placing them wherever they were wanted mrs. Marrot was then directed to observe the rim of the wheel where she saw a small chisel cutting iron curls off it just as easily to all appearance as a turner cuts shavings off wood and these iron curls were not delicate they were thick solid unpliant ringlets that would have formed a suitable decoration for the fair brow of a locomotive or perhaps a chignon supposing that any locomotive could have been prevailed on to adopt such a wild monstrosity This same species of chisel, applied in different ways, reduced masses of iron in size. Planed down flat surfaces, enlarged holes, made cylinders true and smooth inside, besides doing a variety of other things. After seeing the large tire turned, Mrs. Marrot could not be induced to pay much regard to the various carriage and truck wheels, which were being treated in a similar manner in that department, but she was induced to open her ears and her eyes too when the overseer informed her that the works turned out complete No fewer than one hundred and thirty pairs of locomotive carriage and wagon wheels a week How many did you say she asked a hundred and thirty pair of wheels in a week repeated the overseer Every week asked mrs. Marrot. Yes every week sometimes more sometimes less but altogether pretty well on for six thousand pairs of wheels every year why what d'ye make of em all oh we make good use of em replied the overseer laughing we wear them out so fast that it keeps us working at that rate to meet our necessities but that he continued is only a small part of what we do we turn out of the works a hundred and fifty-six first-class carriages Besides many seconds and thirds, and about one thousand five hundred and sixty trucks every year, besides three engines new and complete every fortnight, three new engines every fortnight, echoed Mrs. Marritt. How many's that in a year Bob seventy-eight said Bob promptly. Bob was a swift mental calculator and rather proud of it. Wherever do they all go to? murmured Mrs. Marritt. why replied will garvey. They go to all the stations on the line, of course. Some of them go to smash at once, in case of accidents, and all of them goes to destruction, more or less, in about fifteen or twenty years. We reckon that to be the life of a locomotive. See, there's a drive.